welcome, welcome to uh, the Institute for Palestine Studies Annual Conference in partnership with Mwaten, Institute for Democracy and Human Rights, uh, Birzeit University. Um, uh, the, uh, the title of the conference is the Palestinian National Project Renewal or Restructuring. Um, uh, this session is in English um, and uh, it's moderated by and the session is titled Decolonization Transnationalization of Palestine. Um, Rada uh, uh, is an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science and the Department of Philosophy and Cultural Studies at Birzeit University. Rada, uh, uh, welcome, Rada. Thank you, thank you, Rana. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, all the organizers uh, and uh, the IPS team for the great work that they've been doing uh, through into this conference. Uh, as usual, um, IPS um, always makes sure to tackle critical topics and issues related to uh, Palestinian daily lives and struggle throughout all these years. Um, and also, um, I would like the, or to thank the organizers too for allowing PARC to have a session in such an important uh, conference. So thank you all. Uh, this is the first session today uh, in the third day of the uh, conference. And it is a continuation of the whole debate in the last two days, but mainly the debate of the last session yesterday about the ways of restoring the initiative for the Palestinian struggle by addressing the notion of local popular resistance through youth movements, uh, Palestinian student movements, and community initiatives in refugee camps. Yet the session today includes the transnational aspect of the struggle with the session's title, Decolonization, Transnationalism, and uh, the liberation of Palestine. This session will evoke the struggle of liberation in post-apartheid South Africa, the mobilization of the BDS and the new mobilization of Black Lives Matter, among others, in, addi in addition to concepts, uh, concepts such as the decolonial sovereignty and the decolonial liberation. Um, each presentation today is going to last uh, from 20 to 25 minutes. Then we will open the floor for the Q&A. Uh, please make sure to write your um, questions in the chatting box uh, below or send it to the IPS Facebook page. Uh, the audience will only be able to participate through chatting. Uh, the, I, the IPS team will help to gather these questions and hopefully I will get to all of your questions and hopefully, um, you know, uh, we will have uh, all the time for each speaker to answer uh, each question fully. Uh, the session is for two hours, so it will last until 5 p.m. Palestine time. Um, let's start today with uh, Mark Ayash. Uh, professor Mark Ayash is an associate professor of sociology at Mount Royal University. He is the author of Hermeneutics of Violence. He writes in the areas of social and political theory, post-colonial theory, violence, and decolonial movements. He is currently writing a book 
uh, titled Settler Colonial Sovereignty, the Forging of Palestine-Israel. His presentation today is titled Emancipation in the Age of Settler Colonial Sovereign Power. Um, so, Mark, the floor is yours. Thank you, Reda. Uh, uh, thank you uh, to the Institute uh, for Palestine Studies, to Muatin, uh, Birze University, uh, for giving me this uh, opportunity to uh, share uh, my talk here today. Um, I'm just going to say a couple of words in Arabic and then I'll, I'll come back to English if you don't mind. Um, uh, uh, Mark Muhannad Ayash, Ananwaladet Bisilwan, Ishti Bisilwan, Briha, Bjafat, Abil Hajarn Ala Canada, Bisanti Teleto Tisain, Ken Umri, Albatasha Sanibotha. أنا سوري إنه بقدرش أحكي البرزنتيشن تبعتي اليوم بالعربي اتعلمت الحكي الأكاديمي بالإنجليزي أنا so that's still my uh, the, the, the language that I use يعني اللي بستعملها للدراسة ولا البرزنتيشنز بس بجد استغربت من نفسي قديش قدرت أفهم من المحاضرات والمؤتمر كتير كيفت عليه و وخلص يعني برضو ما كنتش متوقع انه هالقد يصير جعبالي اقرا بالعربي وافكر باللغه العربيه وان شاء الله يوم من الايام اكتب باللغه العربيه فلازم هذا اغيره الحكي واخذ كورسات بس مش اليوم فهلا برجع للانجليزي سو ثانك يو سو The, the talk uh, is about uh, uh, settler colonial sovereignty and, and what a decolonial sovereignty might look like. Um, so what, what is settler colonial sovereignty and how is that different from uh, the notion of sovereignty? So sovereignty, of course, as a, as a, as a concept and as a practice uh, has a very long history that spans thousands of years. Um, uh, but I'm more interested in its European version because that's where the Zionist project comes from. Um, so the Zionist project is very much a modern European project that is birthed uh, in, in the context of, of the uh, uh, age of colonialism and empire in Europe. Um, and it certainly uh, follows some of the key dynamics of that particular kind of sovereignty that emerges in Europe. Uh, from the 15th century onwards, it can probably be traced back. This particular kind of sovereignty probably can be traced back to the First Crusades as well. Um, so one of the key elements of this sovereignty, and, and I should also clarify from the beginning, I come at this from a more philosophical uh, uh, approach and perspective and theoretical perspective, uh, political theory. Um, one of the key elements of this kind of sovereignty is the claim to indivisibility. So what does that mean, the claim to indivisibility? Um, more or less, it is about the assertion of a kind of omnipresent and absolute power that claims absolute control and mastery over a specified land-people combination. This is what underpins this modern version of European kind of sovereignty that also, like I said, underpins Zionism. And 
one of the key elements of that indivisible claim, it's not so much that it actually is, is found in practice, right? There's no, there's no power that has that kind of omnipresent absolute power. Um, but, but a lot of scholars and a lot of theorists um, take that point of departure in order to argue that therefore we should ignore that mythic ideal of indivisibility and focus only on the divisible operation of power. Because in practice, sovereign power is always divisible. There's no, there's no ability of any one group to claim absolute and omnipresent power. But I think that's the wrong way to theorize it. Because for me, the divisible operation of sovereignty is only possible because of the claim to indivisibility, because of the claim to that absolute omnipresent potency, that absolute omnipresent power, you are able to observe specific kinds of operation of modern forms of power. So I don't want to lose this element of indivisibility just because it's not found in practice. Uh, and so what I'm arguing basically is that we what we find in practice is actually possible by that mythic ideal. Um, so what is it that that mythic ideal, that claim to indivisibility, what is it that it is trying to do? And for me, and based on uh, uh, um, uh, the, the, the theorizations and the philosophies on sovereignty, as well as some uh, uh, historical, certain kinds of historical studies of the, of the concept of sovereignty, of the practice of sovereignty, um, the underlying uh, sort of logic of it is the idea that um, the, the, the sovereign is that which um, makes possible and posits a sort of self-same substance at the bottom, at the foundation of modern nation states. By self-same substance, I'm basically referring to the idea of something that is so endogenous and, and internal to itself that it has no connection or relation to anything outside of it. It is unconnected and alloyed and unrelated to any other. The self is just this pure self-stained substance. And, and this is one of the key ideas or the key reasons that I want to link this claim to indivisibility with the divisible operation of, of, of sovereignty. So to, to put it maybe in more political practical terms, when we just ignore the claim to indivisibility, we tend to see modern nation states as something that exists and then goes ahead and pursues certain projects, whether it's colonial projects, settler colonial projects, trade projects, whatever the case may be. So we might view France as just an existing nation state that then goes out and colonizes Algeria and so on and so forth. But really what is happening in, in, in that indivisible, when we pay attention to the claim to indivisibility, what we start to see is that Actually, the entire goal is the violent establishment and sustenance of that self-same substance. Those projects are offshoots of it, rather as projects that are enacted by an actually sovereign self. I hope that kind of made sense. And this is very much a work in progress, so, so please bear with me. Um, and, and when we start to look at settler colonial sovereignty specifically as that which always is attempting to create 
that pure self-same substance, the Zionist dream of building a purely Jewish self that is unrelated to anything outside of it and, 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 it, and it, is, it is just unconnected to anything. And that, that self-same substance is then, you know, ensconced with violence. It's protected by violence. It's, it's asserted through violence. The violence in that self-same substance are not gonna ever be pulled apart. It's, it's, it's there in, in, it, at the very foundation. When we start to look at it that way, we start to see that that kind of logic, that kind of dynamic exists both at the foundation of the settler colonial state and is also that which exceeds it. And this becomes especially, I think, important in our case, in the Palestinian case, because we see this a lot in the dynamic of the settlers versus the state. Of course, uh, for the most part, the settlers and the state work hand in hand. But sometimes, maybe not often, but sometimes they do operate outside of the accepted legal structure of the state. But that's not much of a puzzle uh, in, in, in this case. Once you start to look at uh, uh, settler colonial sovereignty as that which both is at the foundation of the state and that which exceeds it, it's not really much of a puzzle at all. The settlers are precisely what that, 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 that dream of a self-same substance is. And they are, in their actions, pushing the boundaries of the state. They're not going against it. They're pushing the boundaries of the state. They're at the frontier of the state, which is a very common feature of all settler colonies. Um, so if, if that is, in fact, if I'm right, that this is the, the, the sort of underlying logic of, of settler colonial sovereignty, uh, which is connected to sovereignty, uh, uh, sort of more conventional sovereignty that you might find in, in Europe. Uh, uh, but, but the settler colonial part does accentuate those elements um, and, and adds a few more. Um, so if this is in fact the, the, the logic of the settler colonial sovereignty, then why is this important for our discussion on um, decolonial liberation in Palestine? And I did, uh, sorry, I, I did change the title from emancipation to decolonial liberation. I'm more comfortable with that grammar than the language of emancipation, a school of thought that I've not really engaged with uh, ever before. So, um, uh, okay, so, so why is that important for us? Um, well, a, a few things. Um, one of the key features then that we start to see when, when we open ourselves up to this, to this viewpoint is that one of the key markers of this kind of sovereignty is mastery and lordship. And this is where I would like to ask, uh, 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 to ask you all. It's my understanding that the Arabic word for, for, for sovereignty, uh, um, it already has in it those meanings of master and lord, right? I, I may be wrong, please, please correct me. And I need to learn more about that, that the genealogy and etymology of that term in Arabic. If the word sovereignty, that's hidden. You don't see that in English. The word Arabic is actually much more accurate to me as to what is the actual logic of sovereignty, which is mastery and lordship. Um, and by the way, this is not just a purely theoretical uh, assertion that I'm making. This is a, a work in progress, but it's very interesting to me that in, in the work of someone like Gil Peterberg, for example, he, he highlights how Herzl and other early Zionist thinkers didn't just want to be like any European, they wanted to be specifically like the Prussian Junkers. And the Prussian Junkers are basically feudal lords left over from the feudal era still in Europe at the time. 
So, so that, that politics of, of lordship in the sense of lord of lords, not, not in the sense of the sort of uh, politics of lordship that is popular in sort of Scottish history and that sort of thing, but in the sort of lord of lords, the master, um, um, that kind of dynamic is precisely what Herzl and many of the early Zionist thinkers wanted to be like. Uh, and, and that, again, goes to support some of these theoretical and philosophical points uh, that I'm making as to why we should care about this. So if, if this kind of lordship and mastery over people land uh, who are combined in a specific way in this, in this kind of worldview is the mark of the Zionist project and settler colonial sovereignty, then I think this, this does a couple of things that are important for us to consider. One is that if indeed this is the logic underpinning sovereignty, then it doesn't really much matter whether we're talking about an ethno-national state or a civic liberal state. They both operate on the logic of a master ethnos. Just one is more upfront about it than the other. So when we talk about a one state solution, for instance, we need to be very careful in making the argument that we can't accept a one state solution unless we undertake a radical transformation of that settler colonial logic of mastery and lordship. That we're not okay with just joining a civic liberal democracy where our master ethnos is left untouched. And we're just the newcomers that the master ethnos is being so kind as to let us in. We, we don't want that, obviously. So, so, but we need to be clear about how I think we articulate that point so that we drive that point home. By the way, a point that is shared by many indigenous activists and scholars here in Canada, uh, in the US, in Australia, where they, I mean, th that's where we see the master ethnos dynamic most is in indigenous theory, right? In, in, in these so-called multi multicultural liberal democracies. The, the critique of those is strongest is in indigenous theory and as well post-colonial theory. So, so that's, a, I think, a critical point that we need to pay attention to. Um, the second point is, I think, in my view, this problem of sovereignty is one that is relatively new, right? Uh, I mean, it, it, here, here I, I can get into trouble with historians, which is fine. That's fine. Philosophy and theory don't always get along with history, but that's the nature of, of, of the debate. Um, um, and of course, historians will debate which, where do you trace this modern form of sovereignty? Most go to the Westphalian treaties, et cetera, et cetera, um, which we should never forget. We're not, West, Westphalia was not a treaty of nation state. It was a treaty of between empires. Um, uh, uh, the, the birth of, of the idea of a, of a nation state in a modern sovereign nation state, if we do want to trace it there, which is a dubious claim probably, but if we do want to trace it there, we need to pay attention to the fact that this was a treaty of empires that was never going to work. It was never good for the colonized. At any rate, uh, 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 most likely, I would agree with some of the historians that would argue uh, that it most likely this kind of sovereignty in the modern nation state and nationalism and nationality is something that is really late 19th century, mostly took part in the 20th century. So this is kind of a relatively, in the large historical picture, a relatively new problem of sovereignty that we've been trying to address. Many, many human beings across the world have been trying to address for many years. Um, and, and I don't think that problem is going away. 
And I think that kind of mastery and lordship, the way that land people have been fused together in this specific way under mastership and lordship in settler colonial sovereignty and in some of the structures of sovereignty at large anyway, um, is one that is faced by many people across the world who are trying to address it in many different ways. And I think that the Palestinian cause should be put on this path. And we should actually lead in, 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 in dealing with this problem uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one, I think that the Palestinian struggle is at its strongest when it stands for something universal, not just, I'm not saying we ignore our specific and particular problems and issues and, and, and things that we need to deal with, but we have to have that universal dimension that speaks to other people's own experiences, not just as people who sympathize with us, but people who are learning from us. So this is to me, one of the key ways to maintain the Palestinian struggle to maintain that Palestinian fight for justice and liberation. This is what is, what is so fundamental about it. This is what Edward Said always highlighted as well. Now, now the, 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 the content of that will always change because history changes, times change. People start to care about different things. Uh, and, and we need to, to realign ourselves and, and, and rethink, uh, uh, which I love the, the session yesterday with uh, the youth uh, movements and, 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 and the discussion in that. Uh, um, uh, by all the speakers speaking about the need to kind of reinvigorate that and redirect our, our energies towards a, a, a new language, a new grammar. Um, otherwise, we'll get left behind. Um, and so to me, Palestinians have all the tools to be at the forefront of this struggle of the problem of sovereignty. And by all the tools, I mean, um, it, it's not something that is great, but we, we are we are the, the, the victims and we, we suffer uh, um, as much as anybody from this logic of sovereignty. Uh, um, so so I, think, I think we need to be leaders in, in rethinking sovereignty and rethinking what a decolonial sovereignty ought to be. And, and this is where the limits of philosophy and theory come in. I, I probably have two minutes. Is that, is that right, Reda? Uh, uh, actually, we have one presenter who just canceled for emergency situation. So you have more time. Uh, okay, well, I'll still finish it in a few minutes and, <laughs> and we'll use the more time for, for questions. Okay. okay. So please prepare your questions if you want to send them through that chatting box down, down there. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, um, so so uh, uh, th this is where philosophy and theory reaches its limits. I, I don't think you can theorize and philosophize what a decolonial sovereignty should be or ought to be or look like. I do think, uh, as one of the speakers also mentioned, I believe it was yesterday or the first day, I can't quite recall, I think it was yesterday, um, that, that, that change often comes from the ground uh, um, and, 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 and goes upward. And, and I am a firm believer in that as well, that, that, that real uh, um, change and real direction for, for the intellectuals to then build up and develop as, as Elias Khoury encouraged all of us to do, uh, um, uh, that, the inspiration for that always comes from the ground. So, so um, and, and I do think that there are, there are um, certain, certain uh, uh, groups and activities and, uh, um, um, uh, and forms of resistance that can be guides in this. I mean, as, as I began in the, as I mentioned in the beginning, I, I grew up my political consciousness uh, was awakened during the first intifada. I was very young at the time, but I, I remember it, right? Uh, um, 
uh, and this is something that has always uh, uh, stayed with me and will stay with me uh, forever. Uh, uh, but in that, that kind of a, a popular kind of sovereignty that was very different than the popular sovereignty that you saw in France and uh, um, uh, the UK and Germany and et cetera, et cetera, right? W where I still think, you know, those kinds of popular sovereignties, they had their, their pr progressive elements, no doubt, but, but they also still never really challenged that mastery lordship uh, um, underlying uh, structure. Uh, they just passed it from the body of the king to the body of the people without getting rid of mastery and lordship. Uh, and they passed it from the body of the king to the body of the people by killing and displacing and stealing from other people in their colonies. Uh, 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 so, so it's not to me a model. Uh, um, the, the, the real model are, are these kinds of popular, popular uh, uprisings that, that happened during the Intifada, the way that people formed, you know, formulated their own popular committees and communities and and decision making was was happening in in really sort of on the ground ways that is 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 quite radical. Uh, this is we got a glimpse of that in some of the Arab uprisings in Egypt in Tunisia uh, in 2011. Uh, so so these there are lots of examples that I think can guide us in 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 putting more meat on the bone of what this decolonial sovereignty. But to me, the first thing that it has to do is challenge that mastery, that lordship. Uh, uh, and perhaps a kind of a shared deliberative kind of sovereignty is is one that can oppose that and and and, and we can we can rethink that relationship and the configuration between uh, people and land um, uh, uh, through those uh, acts of resistance uh, and, and and again develop them then intellectually and so on um, and if I may end on this uh, and this is more a question to you and I was gonna uh, send him a private message anyway and I probably still will but uh, um, 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 there's the uh, um, uh, Mudar mentioned in the in the first in his in, in sort of welcome talk um, the, the word that stuck with me tahrir al -ard, uh, uh, the liberation of the land to me that already just the very terms put together in that way tahrir al -ard, we're liberating the land it maintains a kind of independence, an independent existence for the land, where we start to think about it as something that we have an intimate relationship with, not a mastery and control over. Um, uh, so, so even just that term alone to me already points us towards that path of, of, of decolonial resistance and a path perhaps towards a decolonial sovereignty, a path that we can share with, with, with not just indigenous people, uh, uh, certainly at the forefront, I would put indigenous people, but, but there are others, the black liberation struggle. Uh, hopefully that's, I'm not sure if that's the speaker that canceled, but uh, we'll hear more about that. Uh, Rabab mentioned it earlier as well. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the indigenous struggles in Bolivia, which I'm always uh, fascinated by the, the, the way they wrote their constitution, the, the content of their constitution, in my mind, at least on paper, the most progressive constitution in, 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 in the world today. Uh, so, so there's lots of lots of solidarities and connections that we can create, and I think I think we could be at the lead of that kind of uh, um, global global movement towards a, a decolonial uh, a sovereignty and a decolonial life. Shukran. Okay, uh, thank you, Mark. Um, uh, we we welcome your questions and answers uh, questions at this point, uh, but I. Maybe I, I, I will start, Mark. Uh, well, thank you for, for the great presentation and uh, refreshing uh, entrance to uh, political theory. We always, uh, we always need that. 
Um, I can't help it when I hear you, I can't help it but think of the argument between and the debate maybe or not. I don't know if um, you're familiar with it, but I'm, I'm sure you are in a way between Schmidt and Benjamin about um, sovereignty. And it seems that uh, Benjamin in his book on violence uh, sort of, uh, he has an article that where he discusses something similar to what you're telling us today. And he's um, basically telling us to be cautious about the notion of sovereignty and the legal or illegal sovereignty kind of. So I'd like to, um, to hear from you, like what is the intersection between your argument and that of Benjamin? Uh, thank you. So, so there. Okay, I thought there was two other speakers. I thought there was another speaker, and then, but okay. Um, okay. So, so um, Benjamin, in 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 my, uh, as you saw in the paper, I draw a lot on on Jack Derrida. Um, now, Joseph Masad has already very clearly told us why Derrida is a terrible understanding. <laughs> Of, of Zionism, and he, he basically does not read the Palestinians into history at all. Um, so terrible as, as he is on that, uh, I think his philosophy is still quite progressive and quite radical and can be used however way we, we, we see fit for ourselves. Um, and, 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 and we can read against the grain of his reading of Zionism. Um, and in my reading specifically of that essay, I mean, obviously, I'm much more closer to Benjamin than Schmidt. Schmidt, I'm not, I'm not close to at all. Uh, but but I do read uh, Benjamin through Derrida's eyes, uh, which does follow some of Benjamin's ideas, but also departs from them on, on one particular point when it comes to violence, which is also tied to sovereignty. So basically, uh, uh, when Benjamin says um, there, uh, there is this kind of um, uh, uh, mythic, um, uh, 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 the... the, the um, I always uh, mistake the, so there's the divine law that makes no, uh, so the divine violence that makes no laws and, and, and uh, um, the sort of mythic violence that is always about making law, right? Uh, and, 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 and he wants us to sort of uh, harness or, or draw on that power of that basically unrepresentable uh, divine law in order to sort of fight against that mythic uh, uh, law, which is which is embedded in violence. I might be getting the terms not completely right here, but I think you, you get the distinction that he's talking about there, right? Uh, and Derrida's critique of that is that, like Derrida does with all binary oppositions, it's not a real opposition. The two are, are, are inside one another. So uh, Derrida gives us a view of that that says, when you want to oppose representation of law in law with an unrepresentable kind of violence, what is actually going to happen is that something else is going to substitute for the unrepresentable. So it's philosophically, I like the idea of drawing on the unrepresentable to fight, to fight against the representable. But to me, that's, it's not just not a practical, even theoretically, it doesn't withhold. It, 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 the, the, the unrepresentable, while I do maintain a space for it in my theorization of violence, 
is not that which is can be represented someday or is that which we can we can use uh, but is is rather that which always unsettles what is represented and representable so uh, i don't want to get too thick in the in the weeds here but but the, the, my 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 sharing of derrida's discomfort with benjamin is that idea that we can use the unrepresentable you already defeated the power of the unrepresentable when you say you can use it um, and, and instead think about it as something that is always inside the representable and then therefore can settle it, unsettle it, sorry, from within. And of course, against all that, there's the Zizekian approach of saying, well, I'm going to name the unrepresentable. <laughs> I don't care what Benjamin says. I'm going to name it and I'm going to, you know, go, go ahead with that line, which is another approach. Um, um, it, but that has its shortcomings as well, as we see a lot with um, Zizek. Uh, especially, I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty good on the Palestinian issue, but there are other uh, post-colonial issues that he's not great on. So, um, so, so that would be my answer to that. Now, in the book that I'm currently working on, I still haven't done it yet, so I have nothing really substantive to add, but I am going to draw on Benjaminian's, or, or the Benjaminian sort of view of history more. I just haven't, don't, I haven't figured out exactly how and, and how that's going uh, to fit, factor into this. Nice. So, Mark, when you say that we have to, you know, we, ha we, we have to think about definition or what exactly we mean by the decolonial sovereignty, um, are you assuming that the Palestinian political movement um, did is, is, does not have a defined sovereignty after all these years of struggle? Like, how, how, do you, how would you define sovereignty when it comes to the national movement? So uh, it's not that there isn't one. It's just that it's, I mean, the, uh, this is one of the uh, unique features of settler colonial sovereignty, which distinguishes it from sovereignty, is that it must always eradicate indigenous sovereignty. It mm -hmm. cannot, it, they, they'll, not, they'll never tolerate Palestinian so sovereignty. It, it's, it's embedded in the very structure of Zionism and all settler colonial projects. They'll accept cultural autonomy. They'll accept even self-administration as Joseph Massad has put it. They'll accept that, they'll accept language, your flags, all those sorts of things, but they'll never allow an actual substantive sovereign rule or, or any kind of uh, sovereignty that would connect, uh, um, that, that would allow a sort of any kind of autonomy or power or, or self-determination. Uh, uh, self so, so the, uh, the problem that the Palestinian uh, movement has faced is that it's constantly under this, this non-stop effort to eradicate Palestinian sovereignty because it is indigenous sovereignty. Uh, and, and to me, they'll never, I mean, that's, never, that, that's, that's embedded in the, in the structure. Uh, and as we know, you know, Oslo is never going to give us that. Um, and no other offer that's ever coming, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, from the Israelis will ever offer actual substantive sovereignty. Now that doesn't mean though, that, mm -hmm. that there isn't uh, um, sovereign practices, it's just that they're always constantly, and that's what you're after? Yes, that's what I'm after. What, where, in your opinion, how, uh, how does the, um, the sovereignty of the Palestinian na the national movement uh, manifested itself during the last 40 years? Because it's, it seems that this is absent from, 
I, I know that's not your focus, but I think we ha we need to hear about that too because it has been a sovereignty in making and it it, it manifested itself in many ways actually. Uh, yes, no, absolutely, uh, and 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 I think you're right. And and I haven't written the chapter on decolonial sovereignty yet, so uh, uh, so that's coming. But but um, I, I, and you know I do view it as something that is practiced uh, on the ground. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just go back to the example that I brought up in my uh, um, presentation in the Intifada, uh, right? So so there's all sorts of popular sovereignty that is happening on the ground in particular ways. Now again. It, it, I, I just want to affirm that it is always facing the threat of erasure and, 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 and oppression and that omnipresent power, uh, which is the, the whole beginning of the paper is about that, really. Uh, um, uh, but, but that doesn't mean, I mean, the reason why omnipresent power never achieves its goal is precisely the, the decolonial resistance. That's what prevents it from, from achieving its, its, its omnipresence. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so the, 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 the substance or materiality of that, of that uh, um, of, de of that decolonial resistance is, is I agree with you, found on the ground. Uh, uh, now, this is where I still need to do more work in order to better articulate what that looks like um, um, and, and, and what that means. Uh, so it's not that it's completely absent, that's for sure. And, mm -hmm. and there is, of course, uh, other forms of sovereignty um, that were present in Palestine prior to the Zionist uh, uh, project. Um, some, and again, I need to do more research on this, but, but uh, uh, some would label the kind of sovereignty that was practiced under the Ottoman Empire as a kind of a layered sovereignty. So, so there was some, some layers of sovereignty, some, some ability to self-rule, self-determine, uh, et cetera, et cetera, but it was still, it was layered. It was under a, a, a bigger sovereignty that, that still had other, uh, uh, other concerns, other, other, uh, um, um, you know, projects, other, other, uh, other needs, other interests, and so on. So, so that kind of layered sovereignty, um, it's, it's, it, it, it will have its faults, of course, but it's also different than the form uh, of mastery lordship that I'm talking about. So, so there's, there's certainly that as well. Um, and, and, and on the ground, I still think that that, that idea of, 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 a, of a kind of a, you know, the popular committees, for example, it, it's a kind of a shared sovereignty between communities and within communities that, that, that gives you already that, that substance that I think is, is very different than that mastery and, and, and lordship uh, kind. Um, yeah, so, so that would be where I would look. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not looking forward in the PA. I'm not looking forward in the, in the, uh, in the structures of the Sulta or, or anything like that, obviously. So yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, there's someone who's asking if they can, if they can uh, ask questions in Arabic. Yes, Mother, just one second. Yes, uh, but the answer is yes, you can ask in Arabic. Just send your chatting, uh, your question to the chatting box down there. Uh, Ahlan Mudar, we're having uh, uh, Mudar with us. He's the head of Muatan, you all know, know him. And uh, we, welcome, uh, we welcome you, Mudar. Tfaddal. Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind, in, since you have a missing speaker or two, but uh, I, I thought maybe we should, we can engage a little bit. I'm happy to meet uh, Mark, by the way. Hi. Happy to uh, meet you as well. Um, maybe maybe we can engage, if you don't mind, in a slightly more um, uh, vigorous uh, theoretical discussion about two things, sovereignty and settler colonialism. I personally have... Uh, 
I'm very skeptical about both the terms. And let me quickly state why, and maybe we can chat a little bit about this. So when I think of the difference between, so first about sovereignty. So sovereignty, sovereignty needs a sovereign. There is no sovereignty without a sovereign. Sovereignty is about limitations, restrictions. Sovereignty is about obedience to someone, etc. And of course, there's always some sort of an, a de facto sovereign. The question is whether the sovereign is in a way representative or, or sort of accepted by the, by, the, by the people, by the populace uh, of that sovereignty um, or not. And my point is that if you are not free, you know, this is, this is by the way, one of the principles uh, of uh, Hamas. Uh, you cannot make sovereign decisions if you are not free. You cannot sit in prison and claim sovereignty, right? And we are in a um, uh, we are in a, in a in a prison, and I think that this notion of uh, the requirements or the requisites uh, for uh, some sort of a valid sovereignty, a valid in the sense of that it represents the people, um, um, and and that it answers to a, an acceptable extent to their needs, aspirations, and represents the will of the people. Um, um, it is, uh, is, is very crucial, and I don't think that you can talk about sovereignty in the current context, even without occupation, because, you know, with the, first of all, you have the, the coloniality. Secondly, you have what you call the settler colonial condition. Thirdly, you have um, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the neo-colonial regime that, that Palestine is suffocated by, uh, uh, actually, in terms of how development is done, etc. Palestine is one of the, you know, experimental places that are not written frequently about, but I, I think it amounts almost to it, to the Chilean experience when it comes to compare the, um, the, um, the, um, the, the, the neoliberal, the neoliberal experiment. The way I see, for example, and the reason why I do not, um, um, cherish a lot the whole notion of settler colonialism as a tool for analysis, is that I, for example, see settlement in Israel that was boosted exactly around 1977, around the very same time when the neoliberal experiment was promoted in Chile and was undertaken by uh, Margaret Thatcher, Roland Reagan, etc., and, and about the same time when China opened up, etc., there was this opportunity to create an experiment for the development of real estate business on land that costs almost zero for the Israelis. So I look at the settlement activity as a very simple, straightforward neoliberal practice and not as an ideological practice. I actually do not believe, I think that the ideology behind the settlement in Israel is similar to the one that brought the Jews into Palestine in the second wave, early, early, early century, uh, 2000. It's a, it's a, it's a fake kind of, uh, a very uh, imperialist notion of we need to have our people next, actually, to the Suez Canal. It's had nothing much to do with Palestine, as such. We have to bring them here, and um, um, and and we can we can claim anything ideological like the biblical land and and, and the like. That on the other hand, the settler colonial um, term, for me, you know, the, the major obstacle with it is that it, it reduces the class analysis of the problem 
into one simple aspect, and this aspect is, to my, to my fear, is racist. It's ethnic. It's based on genes. What kind of genes do you have? So you know the 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 the, the counter opposition in the settler colonial analysis is between two ethnicities. It has nothing class in it, and I think we lose a lot when we re, uh, confine our analysis to settler colonial analysis. You know, granted, there is something special about settlement and and pushing away the indigenous and moving them out rather than using them as cheap labor and what have you. This all exists, but I think it's a camouflage of something else and the analysis should be much more complex um, uh, for it. So if you put these two things together, the notion of sovereignty cannot be ethnic. I mean, look, did, did you ever, do you ever, for example, look at the shaman as a sovereign in a tribe? as the sovereign in a tribe, we don't, right? Uh, so it's not simply a question of, of you know, who rules. It's a question of how, how the, the social contract, so to speak, is implemented and to, to in, 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 which ways, in which ways people do coexist. And when, when, when the definition is ethnic, first, I think we adopt the Zionist discourse of promoting the ethnic um, which is which is very racist. Promoting the, eth the ethnic component into a major criteria of the political struggle, and secondly, we create a situation whereby sovereignty becomes impossible, almost as you as as you said. But this leaves no room for revolution. So, what do you say? <laughs> well, there's a lot there. Uh, thank you very much for those comments. Okay, so. Uh, let me start with the with the the general answer and and that is is that when i highlight the settler colonial aspect of settler colonial sovereignty i do so because i do think that that is the most accurate way of defining the zionist project so it's not about then you know making sovereignty itself that it's not it was, that's why i began the the, the 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 presentation by saying sovereignty as a concept and as a practice has, has a history of, of, of arguably a, a couple of thousand years. So it has specific iterations and specific configurations that we have to pay attention to. And for me, the Zionist project is a racist ethno-nationalist uh, uh, project. And therefore the use of those, uh, 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 those concepts in order to make sense of the, the nature of that project. So it's not, it's not a way to naturalize sovereignty as necessarily always settler colonial or as always necessarily connected with mastership or, or, or mastery and lordship, but as, 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 as specifically associated with those terms in this context. And I, I was also well, thinking that- for a second. My yeah. point was not that there is no specific nature of the uh, Zionist project. My question is whether settlement and land is the quintessence of this project or something else. I, I, I am, what I fear is reducing the whole, the whole imperialist nature into a, a, a simply colonial nature, removing the imperialist uh, um, connotation of this project simply will disallow us from understanding it. And then you can analyze as much as you want. So when we define we use a definition that fulfills 
our analytical needs. Definitions are, you know, they, they don't come from nature, right? We Definitions are constructs that we make in order to facilitate one or another analysis. My point is that the analysis of settler colonialism is a counterproductive to the, to the analysis of sovereignty. Uh, right, and so that's that's we we do disagree on that one, <laughs> and and uh, um, because again, to me, um, uh, uh, sovereignty is 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 again. I, I, uh, let me let me put it this way: um, the, the the specific kind of sovereignty that I'm trying to argue is is operative in this case um, is one that tries to. Um, uh, uh, to make the 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 settler native distinction into its primary logic, and and I do think that now that doesn't mean that in reality that that is what happens on the ground. So it's not to deny the neoliberal aspects, the economic exploitative uh, uh, um, uh, uh, and and the imperial sort of uh, uh, dimensions to this, but but since it tries to do that, I do think that we need to zoom in on that. And 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 figure out that force which which underpins uh, um, the various projects that then the settler colonial state engages in, um, and and so land and settlement to me is is the key underlying uh, 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 feature of, of 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 the Zionist project, and and hence why uh, uh, I draw on that settler colonial paradigm. Now I'm not saying that the settler colonial paradigm ought to be copied and pasted. The way that it's applied to North America should be applied in this case. It shouldn't. Uh, but but who says that the settler colonial paradigm is necessarily its North American version? That's just one specific iteration of of an underlying settler colonial logic. And this is why I say that it's this is a little bit more philosophical than even political theory, because because I am making the claim that there is this kind of underpinning force that can show up in different ways in different places. So it's going to look differently in, in Canada, in the US, in Bolivia, in Chile, than it will in, in, in Palestine. But nonetheless, there is a, a some shared, some shared uh, underlying force dynamic that, that, that can allow us to speak of a, of a settler colonial across those different contexts. But, but uh, um, and, and you know, and you can combine the settler colonial paradigm with a critique of, of neoliberal capitalism, as does Glenn Coulthard in the case of Canada, for example. And he does that, I think, quite well. Um, and I do draw on his work in, in the book. So, so there's a little bit of discussion on, on, on capitalism and, 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 and neoliberalism in, in, in the book. But again, it's, it's still a work in progress. So, so that would be my defense of the settler colonial paradigm. Nothing, no paradigm is ever perfect. And they'll all have shortcomings. They'll all uh, reveal certain things and conceal certain things. That's inevitable. Um, uh, and I do agree with you that that we uh, it is it is an experiment like no other. There is post-colonial authoritarian power. There's neo-colonial power. There's settler colonial power. There's apartheid. There's there's all of these forms of power that do show up in in, in Palestine, and 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 they'll continue to to I think even newer forms will be will be developed there. But but but. To me, there is this still underlying force that I want to that I want to fixate on. Um, uh, it's not because it's unchanging that I want to fixate on it. It's because I do think that it, it is it, it is something that 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 springs different different configurations of power uh, uh, that 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 we need to sort of get deeper than the surface and, and look at it there. But how um, would you explain the Mark, for example? Sorry, but how would you explain 
you look back at the 70s and, and 80s, but in particular in the, at the 70s, how do you explain the very special relation between Israel and, and apartheid South Africa on the one hand, a very special relation between Israel and, the, and Iran during the Shah period, uh, who, who actually did create a triangle in a, uh, in a way on, on certain um, issues. And how would you explain the, the, the strength of the Zionist lobby in the US and Canada if the question is a question of ethnicity? Uh, well, uh, so I don't think that it uh, does. Uh, so uh, this is why I, I want to emphasize, I wanted to emphasize in the paper that the so-called, uh, especially in Canada, the US, the so-called multicultural liberal states are, are not what they present themselves to be, that there is still a, a master ethnos at the very foundation of those states. Um, and, and, but okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so, I mean, if you ask black scholars or, or indigenous scholars, this is the first thing that they go to is white supremacy in these countries. But uh, you can explain then why Obama being black, sort of black, uh, uh, was, 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 I mean, ethnically black and politically white, right? Um, it's, it, the ethnicity does not explain. The ethnicity is a sort of, is an image. It's a, it's, it's a way to classify people statistically, so to speak. It, it so occurred, but is it, is it true that this is what is underlying? So suppose, I mean, you go into a place and find that those who are taller perform worse in class. You, you won't make the conclusion that, you know, performance has to do with the, with height, right? Uh, the fact that the the white supremacists have are white does not their whiteness does not explain anything because there are many. The majority of whites are not are not like that at all. The majority of whites are not there. So my point is that we are uh, we came to a point where we diverted from uh, uh, a sort of a, a mechanical, if you wish, or a, a, an over overstated or what have you class analysis. We wanted to add some uh, some aspects to it, but then we forgot it, and then we started right. And and so you take the secondary uh, uh, expression of class analysis, uh, an ethnic, for example, or a or a gender or a sexist expression or or or, or a north south expression or what have you, many expressions. You take any of those, and you uh, uh, basically camouflage the problem. You, uh, you, you put yourself in a position um, where you cannot analyze the whole problem because you forgot your starting point. Uh, okay, and, you and, take and, the and secondary. Yes, so, but this is where we, we are different uh, uh, because to me, class is, is important, but it's not the foundational. Uh, uh, so I don't take it as the foundational point that I have to come back to. It's not, it's not that I added ethnicity and race and gender and then I, want, I need to not forget about the primary point. It's, it's to take it out from the primary point altogether and to look at intersections. So I'm much more on closer to that kind of theorizing. So you do agree and, that, that settler, the settler colonial paradigm is not, is not in essence a class analysis paradigm? I, I don't think that it's fundamentally, it's not a class analysis paradigm, but class analysis is not and should not be ignored within that paradigm. Okay. Uh, so so I, that, that makes things easier really, because then, then there are two perspectives, which is great, but then the claim that that settler colonial analysis is a, is a class analysis uh, becomes the problematic one, which you are not claiming. Okay. I mean, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and I do follow is not just uh, uh, Glenn Coulthard, 
who argued that point as well. And when he included capitalist, uh, a critique of capitalism in Marxist analysis, he includes it as a, uh, as, as, as a sort of, uh, uh, not as foundational, right? Because to him, it's, it's not proletarianization that, 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 that governs the settler colony, it's, it's dispossession. Uh, and similarly, in post-colonial theory, I do follow Mahmoud Mamdani, uh, who argues that, that that attention that was paid to class and people who thought that the, the, the continent of Africa will only now face class issues and class conflicts, that that mistake that they 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 found out in 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 a harsh uh, uh, in a harsh way in the 80s and 90s was that they ignored the the, the native settler distinction. Now, of course, native settler in Africa is going to look very differently than it does in Palestine. But uh, uh, nonetheless, yeah. So I, I do fall more on that side. As to again, I don't want to ignore class analysis. I may not do it myself because I'm not very good with numbers and. And, and theorizing uh, uh, these uh, political economies, but I do read it, I do appreciate it, uh, but, but I don't make it foundational in my work. So. So, but how do you then delineate yourself, I mean, not yourself, but the analysis, the, the, the methodology, from that of the clash of civilization? It's very different, because they take those concepts as if they're real. We don't. So I, it's not that I take ethnicity and race as actually ontological categories. Uh, uh, but as 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 so, I'm more interested in in the racialization of human beings, not human beings as belonging to different races. Um, uh, so so that's the big difference between that. The clash of civilization people presume that they're talking about real concepts of and real categories of race and ethnicity, whereas people like Mamdani Coulthard in the school that I follow is more about understanding how those identities become formed in specific ways and, and formed and institutionalized in more brutal ways. Uh, um, uh, and, and the key is on the institutionalization of those categories within that work, for sure. Okay. So if, you, if you're given, if you're the almighty and you're given the, you know, the capacity to solve problems, mm -hmm. um, how would you resolve a settler colonial condition? I, I don't take the position of the Almighty. And I do, I don't just say that. I do honestly believe. Might enough to solve the Palestinian problem. But, but I, I do honestly believe that, 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 that change and, and progressive radical change does come from below. It's not for me to say. I mean, I, I might have some ideas, but uh, what does it matter if I, if, I, if, I, if I spew them out like that? It's, it's it, it's gonna be it's gonna be people on the ground that lead the way. To me, academics are actually not quite good at at at, at imagining different futures. Yeah, they are lousy politicians. We know that for fact. But uh, <laughs> but but the, the, my point is not where it's coming from. My point is you know we're talking now about a design. So the masses are on the street. Palestinians are on the street, screaming dignity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is fully understandable. And then comes the question, which I struggle personally with a lot. So what exactly do you need to have your dignity? Um, what exactly do you need concretely, you know, to become sovereign? So you have a settler colonial condition, the way you describe it. And, 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 and you know, and, and then you have um, Netanyahu in prison, um, all his gang um, around him in prison, and, and you're free to, you're the judge. What, what would you do to resolve the problem? Well, if, if you um, take the settler colonial analysis, again, let me repeat, I'm trying to, to you know, I'm, I'm trying sure, to no, no, no. a concrete point of, 
of using the, the, the methodology for yes. this, yeah? Yes, no, absolutely. So this is where it, it can get into, and again, the book is still in progress. So I'm not, I've not, res, I've not resolved uh, all of my positions on these things. I do, I do, I do stay in a very fluid place as I, when I write. Um, uh, now, look, let me, let me approach it this way. Uh, for Mahmoud Mamdani, the solution in Africa is to dissolve the settler native distinction. Just dissolve it. That, that would, that would and, and, and address the institution, Wait, because mentally? institutionalization of those have, have led to some, so an absolutely horrendous uh, condition that in Africa, you have to dissolve that settler native Wait, distinction. Mind or? No, um, institutionally. It's institutionally first, but of course, the, the hope is eventually in the minds as well, in the way people live. Um, in, in a place like Canada, hell no, there's no way indigenous scholars would ever accept that because it's a completely different situation where if you do dissolve the indigenous uh, uh, native, uh, sorry, indigenous settler distinction, then given the demographic reality and the power realities, indigenous people are just going to be simply assimilated into the uh, settler uh, culture and therefore their sovereignty and their modes of governance and their laws, their languages, their identities will just simply disappear and be destroyed. So they would be entirely opposed to the uh, um, uh, dissolving of that distinction. I think in the case of Palestine, and this is again, I'm, I'm still working on this. We have to, first of all, insist that we are the indigenous. Because, I mean, uh, uh, as you know, uh, um, uh, the, 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 the Zionist ideology and the Israeli government is constantly trying to say, they're the real indigenous people, we're the interlopers, we're the colonists, et cetera, et cetera. So in any paradigm, we have to basically assert that basic fact that we, the Palestinians are the indigenous, the Israelis are the settlers. But we also have to start to think about ways to start to institutionally dissolve that distinction. So uh, uh, I know Raif uh, Drake has written about this. He, he's going to be speaking in the last session. Um, I know not everybody's on board with, with, with his ideas regarding that. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant to accept uh, uh, all of his uh, arguments in that, in that article he wrote to Mamdani. Um, uh, but I do think that there is something there. Now, I'm still working on the specifics and the, and the details. I, I need a little bit more time to, to, to sort that out. But... I would love to see a situation. Let me just answer the, your concrete question with a concrete answer that hopefully will give you an idea of where this could go. I would love it if all the Palestinians had to do was ask questions about what does it mean to have a good life? What does it mean to have dignity? If that's all we are doing, then that's not a bad place to be. We're not even there. We, we, we're prevented from even being able to ask those questions. Um, uh, so, so let's at least let the collective answer those questions uh, uh, in their specificity of what makes a good life. Who am I in, the, in, the, in, 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 in living more than half of my life in Canada to come and tell you in, in, in Ramallah how, how, what the good life and dignity should mean to you? Um, uh, but I can theorize the path towards a space where at least you're able to have that conversation and I'm not just have that conversation, but actually I'm asking you as a scholar, full stop. I mean, the fact that the fact that you're in Canada is is a, is a personal fact. It has nothing to do with the, with the methodology. My my essential sure. point is, we in I mean, we you and I and Rada and, and, and people around us here have the onus of we do have we do have, hold the onus of 
decolonizing our own mind in order to be able to initiate the debate on what does it mean to have dignity in Ramallah. Yeah, um, and, and you know, this, this claim about the, pop, the populist claim about, you know, everything should come from below. Of course, nothing will happen except from below. But this doesn't mean that intellectuals have no role. Oh, no. Exactly. So, yeah, so no, I agree with after you. Having, having said that change is, you know, happens from below, is conditioned on what is below, is, is if, if it's not popular, then it will never last and it will never happen, and etc. This, I mean, having said all of this, you still have the duty to tell us as an intellectual, what, what, what plans do we have? What, what plans do you, do you, you know, design as a scholar for, for us? And then, you know, people, people can tell you, you know, let, let's, let's leave this rubbish aside, or they will tell you, wow, we want to, we want to make you uh, the Palestinian president. I mean, <laughs> or, or anything in between, right? Uh, um, yeah. I see that I want you, to Yeah, if you, if you would allow me. Uh, it's a non-smoking session, Mother. You can't smoke. It is. It is. It is a smoking <laughs> session. Non-smoking session. No. Uh, no, Leila Khalid. Yes, for cigarettes. <laughs> uh, in addition to what Mother has uh, asked, um, we we uh, we have two questions. Uh, one in Arabic that I would summarize, and maybe you can take all these questions together. And let me let me first just to mention that. Uh, uh, Two of our speakers, I don't know what happened with them, but they're not showing on the chat. And one has apologized, the, apologized. the other is not showing up at all. And he's in, Andy is in the United States. I'm not sure what happened with him. So Mark, I mean, uh, such an opportunity for you to be with the Dr. Yeah. Mother and with the audience and with all this time, if you don't mind. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question. Firas Abriyosh min al-Hirak al-Palestini has a long question, so I'm going to just summarize it and make it relate, you know, I'm going to relate it to the session. Basically, it's about the international sovereignty. How can you relate your argument? You know, you've talked about uh, a lord of lord versus the lord, which is, you know, this needs to be clarified even more, but can we you know, someone might claim that the Lord of Lords should be the international sovereignty of, if such thing exists. So this is basically the question uh, Firas is asking. He's like, how can we uh, um, basically take the B PA to court? That's basically what he's asking for. Okay, okay. And I know that's maybe in practice, not your field, but I'm asking you if, if, if you may answer it theoretically. Uh, this is the first question. The, the second question is related. You mentioned to the one state solution and you said, you said that we should be careful to uh, basically uh, um, advocate for such a solution because we know that there are lots of Palestinian and Israeli, uh, some Israeli intellectuals who have been talking about the one state solution. Uh, if you can uh, elaborate more uh, on that. And uh, finally, this is coming from me. Uh, you, the paper that I've read for you has a lot more than what you presented, and I understand that. Uh, but maybe to make it to make your uh, um, presentation even more related uh, than it is, especially on the ground today to COVID nineteen, I found what you've written about uh, sovereign aspiration and COVID nineteen beautiful. So if if you can elaborate more on that, 
I, and then we go back to Moda. Merci. Okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's, that's good. I like it. Enjoy, enjoy. Moda is I'm the old guardian of. Uh, okay, let me actually move backwards. I like I, I, I like the answering the questions in the backward order. I, I think that would work better. Uh, so we'll start with the COVID nineteen. So that that is the uh, 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 the half of the paper that I submitted, and that's going to show up in a publication. I think uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, Canadian Journal for Cultural Analysis, um, and in it, I, I basically do try to show uh, what I mean about the operation of 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 that power and how it it can be understood better when we pay attention to that indivisible claim of omnipresent power. And uh, for me, the COVID-19 pandemic in Palestine uh, showed the three faces of that sovereign colonial power, uh, control and, and governance over life, biopower, uh, the control over death, necropower, and Jasper uh, uh, Poir's idea of debilitating power, which for me, I understand it as a kind of rule across life and death. Um, and, and, and to me, all three different forms of power are, I mean, they've been visible in Palestine for, for, for many, many years in different forms. Uh, COVID-19 isn't the new age, you know, uh, the new age of the pandemic that has introduced these powers. It's just the latest episode in seeing how that power operates in the specific case of the pandemic. So in case of the, the, the control over life, biopower, it's, you know, the lockdowns of populations, um, uh, the, uh, uh, and I tried in the article to, to sort of tie three different uh, 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 personal, not personal, but uh, uh, individual stories to each one. Um, um, so um, I use the, the story of, of Fadil Hidmi, um, uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, arrested, uh, um, for doing sovereign-like work uh, uh, in, in, in Jerusalem, um, uh, uh, helping, helping residents of East Jerusalem deal with the pandemic. So therefore he was acting like a sovereign and that was enough to arrest him. I don't need to, to, to really see, see it more than, uh, um, more than that, read more into it than that. It is, it is any act that even appears like a sovereign act, the Israelis cannot tolerate. And, and therefore he was arrested, forced to wear a dirty, uh, bloody mask, and so on and so forth. So, so that to me was an example of that biopower, that control over life, uh, uh, the controlling over rhythms of life and, and, and the day-to-day -day life of Palestinians that happens on a continuous basis that we can certainly observe in the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, then there was the story of, of Malik uh, Jayusi, uh, and that I use that as an example of the uh, control over death um, in terms of theorizations, Joseph Masad I used for the biopower, uh, Chile Mbembe for necropower, uh, um, and that's the, the control over death where uh, uh, death is not an escape, and I'll just read from the paper, death is not an escape from an imprisoned and occupied life, it is just another aspect of life that is ruled by the settler colonial sovereign, and, and we see that in the case of, of Malik, uh, uh, how he was, uh, uh, you know, the second he showed any, any sign of death, even though he didn't have the, the virus, it turned out, but he showed any sign of death. Uh, he was he was controlled, uh, uh, collected, uh, 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 thrown out into the into the checkpoint, 
um, and 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 left to die if, if for all they cared. They didn't they didn't really uh, uh, care too much about that as long as the death happened outside of the Israeli scene. Um, uh, uh, and and that that shows the the other aspect of omnipresent power where uh, uh, not even the dead Palestinian body is allowed to 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 register uh, on the political landscape or in any kind of political grammar. Uh, the, the the dead body is that which is to always be discarded and pushed away from from uh, the Israeli scene. Uh, and then finally, the rule across life and death, where I draw on the uh, difficult work of, of Jasper Poire, but important work nonetheless. Uh, and, and here I, I focus a little bit about how the attempt, uh, and, and here Khalida Jarrar, uh, um, her story is, is featured. And here I try to talk about how uh, the imprisoning of the Palestinian body is a way to try to debilitate the Palestinian body, to, to debilitate it to such an extent that it's no longer able to resist. Um, and, and that's the kind of key aspect of, of, of debilitating power that rule across life and death is, is, to, is to prevent the, 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 the colonized body from even the ability to resist. Um, and, and in contrast to that power, this is where in, in the published paper, I start to get into how resistance uh, um, found in, in Gerard's words and in her actions and in the other prisoners that she lived with uh, as far as I know, I'm not sure if she's still she's still in prison. Uh, um, as far as I know, at the writing of this, when I wrote this and in, in, submitted it in end of June, she was still in prison. Uh, but but how the sort of broken bodies in Israeli prisons tend to recreate uh, Palestine within their cells. Um, it goes back to to the earlier point: you cannot be sovereign uh, when you're when you're imprisoned, uh, which is uh, certainly true to a certain extent. But in, in another in, in another light. Uh, there is there is the resistance towards that prevention of, of, of sovereignty there, that there is an effort to recreate within the present, uh, uh, following her words, uh, um, that connection of the Palestinians uh, uh, to the land, uh, that connection of Palestinians to themselves, to each other as Palestinians, and their connection to the world as Palestinians. Um, and I didn't include uh, in this paper uh, uh, the, the very last short uh, conclusion that I have in the published paper or the to be published paper uh, where, where I do end with a little bit of more on, on the Palestinian resistance angle, just very quickly. Uh, uh, it, was, it was supposed to be a 3000 word paper. They, they let me have a few more. I think the editor likes, likes us. Um, uh, um, he'll please listening right now. He'd like that. Um, uh, so anyway, so that was the, 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 the uh, uh, settler sovereign power uh, uh, that, 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 is there in its operation and in its very, very specific kind of operation, which aspires to that omnipresence, but never achieves that omnipresence precisely because of the resistance uh, that is presented against it. Um, and, um, and hopefully, so hopefully that, 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 that added uh, substance to, to, to the more theoretical discussion uh, that, I, that I chose to focus on. Um, the, the point on the one state solution. So this is, again, actually, we'll go back to uh, Mudar's question on to me about um, the practical uh, uh, solution, what I would like. I mean, I, I am a one-stater, but it has to be articulated in very, in very careful terms. Um, uh, um, in terms where we are not, as, as one of the speakers uh, um, uh, mentioned, um, I'm just looking up his name, sorry, I don't have it. Um, in, in, I think it was the second panel. Um, uh, one of the, the speakers mentioned that, uh, um, you know, um, Nasser, Nasser al-Kidwe, um, 
who my father knows, by the way, if Nasser, if you're listening, Saeed Ayash, um, uh, um, mentioned that, you know, the, 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 the one state will just lead to, to a, a apartheid, uh, to, 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 to a form of rule that uh, um, it, it entirely defeats the Palestinian cause. So, so we have to be very careful in, in how to articulate that. And really, I, I am speaking maybe more so here to, to Palestinians abroad. Uh, uh, who will throw around the one-state solution in ways that don't pay attention sometimes to, to those to those uh, details of, of it can't be a one-state where there is I, I'll go back to that terminology that master ethnos is established unchallenged and to which we're you know the master ethnos is so kind to let us in and and become part of the state that's not what we're after uh, um, to me we're the 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 one-state solution that is worth struggling for uh, is one where um, it, it challenges all those uh, uh, conventional uh, uh, European modes of, of sovereignty and nation state. Uh, and again, I, I go back to this point that these are relatively new um, uh, modes of social and political organization. They haven't been around forever and they won't last forever. Uh, so why don't we go on the forefront? Why don't we build uh, uh, the, the, new, the new kind of state, the new kind of sovereignty, the new kind of belonging? Uh, uh, the new kind of connection between people and land, uh, the new kind of shared sovereignty. Um, uh, and, and, and I understand that sometimes that reads as, um, uh, for some people that that reads as, you're asking people who are uh, going through hell and, and living under unbearable conditions to create something that has not been created before. And, and my answer to that is, I'm, 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 I'm saying that precisely because they are in that position. Uh, um, it's precisely when you're in dire positions that you ought to reach for something new, for something transformative, for something uh, radical, uh, because none of the other things have been working. Um, um, none of the other things have, have been invented to serve the colonized. Uh, uh, the, the, these notions of, 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 of the modern sovereign nation state that operates on that logic of, of, of lordship and mastery is not, it was never meant uh, 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 to, to help the colonized. Uh, um, uh, it was always a work of empire for the sake of empire. Uh, um, uh, and, I, and I do believe that it, it, that's not just a theoretical point, but there are historians who would not associate themselves with the post-colonial thinking or decolonial thinking that argue that very point, like Burbank and Cooper. Um, and, and that comes back then to the last question on international sovereignty. And, and it depends on, on what is meant by that, because- uh, um, I just want to add, because I got another question uh, from Dr. Hanada Kharme about this, where she's saying that basically, uh, so she's saying, I agree with Dr. Mudar. So you have another question here about the, the outside. The, so the, the international. Uh, yeah. The international it might be the international, like one example. Okay, so that it just comes from the outside. Yes, not uh, only, uh, not only uh, from the self or from the within. Right. Uh, so, so sovereignty is. So again, um, um, let me. Okay, let me start with with my original train of thought and tell me if I miss this. I'm I'm happy to come back to it. I do this a lot. I'm sorry. I, when I miss a question, is not because I'm ignoring it or trying to ignore it. I I do sometimes. It takes me a little bit to to get it. The, the heart of what is what the question is after. Um, 
So if we follow sort of more traditional uh, uh, social and political theory on sovereignty, um, you, you can find since the early parts of the 20th century, uh, social theorists like uh, um, uh, Norbert Elias uh, arguing that this kind of international sovereignty is, is, is more or less inevitable. I mean, he, he changes that a little bit towards the end of his life, but uh, um, to, 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 to him, um, that kind of uh, in the, ar the arrival of an international sovereign that rules over all other sovereigns, so as really the Lord of Lords, uh, um, um, is, is kind of an inevitable uh, um, uh, um, outcome and probably will be helpful in some respects in that it can stop the warring between all the different lords underneath the Lord, the sovereign. Um, I, to me, that's flawed both theoretically and practically. It's flawed theoretically because, it, again, it maintains that mastery and lordship logic. It, 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 and, and by the way, I do draw a lot on Elias to, to, to get at that, 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 that lord of lords kind of lordship. So, and I still have more work to do in terms of Reda's question on the, the difference between the politics of lordship and the lord of lords kind of uh, a dynamic that I'm trying to highlight. But uh, uh, for the most part, uh, uh, the sort of politics of lordship is usually associated with the fights between all the different feudal lords. And the Lord of Lord is that which comes and stops that fighting and creates an absolute sovereign system that, that puts the other Lords in their place, basically. So, so that's the difference between the politics of Lordship and the dynamic of, of, of Lordship that comes from the sort of Lord of Lords. So in a way that question on international sovereign uh, um, is, is basically just taking that argument to, to another level, to another international level, uh, uh, so that a, a, a mega sovereign arrives and rules all of the other sovereigns in 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 such a way where where, where they stop all the the, the sovereign fighting. Um, to me, I mean, even if that does happen, it would be well, it would be the American Empire as as the absolute sole superpower. In a sense, they tried to take that position of the sovereign of sovereigns. Uh, um, um, it, they're already retreating from it today, in my view. I'm not, I'm not a, a political analyst per se, but, but in, my, in my following of that, uh, um, I think they are already in retreat from, from that position, assuming they ever had it, right? Like, again, these are, there is something to the juxtaposition of the divisible operation of sovereignty versus the indivisibility of sovereignty. I'm not trying to completely ignore the divisible operation, but I'm, I'm trying to keep in mind the, the indivisibility. So, all, all sovereigns, regardless of their claims to omnipresent power, are always limited, even, even the most powerful. Uh, um, uh, but, but in the world that we live in today, there, you know, free from outside interference, that, that doesn't exist anywhere. Uh, uh, and and, and to, to, to bring back, uh, just to, the, to prove that I don't ignore the political economy, uh, multinational corporations, are also, they're a continuous challenge to the sovereignty of, of the sovereign. Uh, and, and, and some people have talked, have, have discussed, you know, the ideas of sort of the economic, or, or these companies as sovereign entities, which is not that new of a, of a phenomenon. Uh, the British East India Company was given all the powers of sovereignty by the British Empire prior to the official establishment of the British Empire in India. Um, I'm, I'm starting to go in different directions here, but it is a large question, international sovereignty. So uh, um, 
um, I don't know if that addressed at least uh, uh, partly what the question was trying to get at. I, I think it did, but uh, she's adding one more layers, or I think she meant something else, like basically the structure. The structure of it. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that there is one. I'm not sure that there is a, an international sovereign structure. Um, uh, let's take a, a practical example, the, 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 the International Criminal Court. The second that that international sovereign structure is used against the US and the Israelis, what do they do? They, they, they devalue it. I mean, so, so how is that sovereign? What, how is that structure sovereign? Um, um, yeah, I see nothing but, but power <laughs> in, in the international order. I don't see, I don't see these ideas of, of, of justice holding any sway in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I don't have more questions here. Uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to add, Dr. Modar? Yeah, just a comment on the on the very last thing. I think sovereignty is a structure. There's a sovereign and those who are governed. Mm -hmm. So this is the structure. That's it. I mean, uh, um, I don't know what, what, I mean, external sovereignty, I don't know what that really signifies. I can imagine, I can imagine that the the sovereign is, in, 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 is external to those who are governed by some sort of definition. But in, in law, we do not call this sovereignty. We uh, we call it control. We call it, I mean, it has other names. Right. It has other names within the uh, framework of of the system. Um, um, what I think is is that we are missing here probably is to probably go back to this uh, very famous popular notion of governmentality of 1970 whatever by Foucault, the idea of. Uh, of the connection between, see, sovereignty, sovereignty cannot do without several, there are several components, right? I mean, there's the sovereign, uh, him herself, usually himself. Uh, there is the, um, the, those who are governed, the populace, and there is the territory. And, and in the, you know, these are three, at least obligatory components to be able to discuss the whole idea of uh, uh, Sovereignty in, 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 in any way, and um, and and the most the most fascinating thing about about Foucault's um, analysis of this is that while sovereignty is usually presented uh, in the framework of preserving the borders of the territory and controlling them, actually sovereign, sovereignty is about permeating them, because you cannot practice sovereignty unless people are trying to cross. Uh, Across these uh, certain borders, you have you have to inhibit them, you have to stop them, you have to uh, to you know to disallow them or allow them uh, for, for that uh, for that matter. Um, in the case of um, in the case when, when when if you want to add um, um, a layer of complexity to the notion of sovereignty, try to put it together with the notion of self determination, and that's where I think Hanada's question becomes very very important and, um, and enlightening actually, because we always think of self-determination as something that is done by, I think of self-determination as a three-layer, if you wish, thing. The individual self-determination, the liberal 
or libertarian even self-determination a la John Stuart Mill, if you wish, and um, uh, which, which is quite sort of sidelined in the discussions nowadays. There's another layer of self-determination which was almost never discussed, which is communal self-determination. Uh, it is coming back under the names of um, indigenous self-determination, etc., but but it's not discussed as such uh, very much. And thirdly, the new version that is about 70 years old, sorry, 100 years old, uh, which is called national self-determination. We forgot about the first layers. We usually discuss the third. I, I don't think this is fair. I don't think it gives us a good picture. Um, 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 the, um, the, the, the notion of self-determining needs the self to be defined. And the self-definition is most of the time, not most of them, actually all the time external when it comes to international law, when it comes to national self-determination, which is a concept of international law. How does that happen? You have to have recognition by the UN, you have to have recognition by the neighboring states, your borders should be defined identified in order to define the self that does the self-determination. And so sovereignty is impossible without, without defining the self of, the, of that populace that needs to self-determine. And, and, and here the external factor becomes an obstacle in the sense of if the self is externally defined, the self-determination cannot be autonomous and there will be no self-determination in principle and by definition. I'm talking logically here. In politics, of course, we don't use formal logic. What we use is real, real life, where nothing, nothing is really absolute, which is, uh, which is true. And, and we look at levels of self-determination and levels of sovereignty and, 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 and so on and so forth. But then even, even to do that, we have to have a, a, a mental diagram of what these terms mean and what they designate and for what for what do we really use them? I mean, why do they exist, and and how do you how do we utilize them in the uh, in the case? The one thing that I, I I fear, you know, in in all of the analysis that you are adopting, Mark, and you know, this is not this is something I know is very very widespread, is you know when you tell me that, for example, we are the indigenous people. I think I feel indigenous. I mean, I'll tell you frankly, I fully feel indigenous. If I'm outside Ramallah, I feel homesick. So this means I'm indigenous. Uh, <laughs> anyway, to me, indigenosity is a, a form of self-determination. I decide that I'm indigenous. Yeah. And I don't need anybody to tell me, you know, who's indigenous. And I really don't care if my ancestors came from Greece or from the Arab Peninsula. I, I, I could give, I couldn't care less really at all. And I don't care who was here 3000 years ago. And I don't, I mean, if you remove the notion of property ownership, uh, which is the very modern, pretty much modern sort of capitalist concept, if you just remove it, because nations existed before capitalism, right? And um, um, I mean, people, sorry, not nations, people, yep. people yep. existed. Yep. Um, I, I think that uh, conditioning my right to self-determination on belonging ethnically to those who were here first is actually a Zionist argument. 
and I don't want to take it. I don't want to take the indigenous argument. I am here because I am here and I have a right to be here and I have the right to self-determine, etc. I don't know why we should accept the, 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 the ideology that comes with, the, with Zionist expansionism that needs a, a, you know, a pretext in order to be here, which is the indigenous uh, uh, question. I mean, the, 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 it's a, the indigenous argument is actually a Zionist argument in the case of Palestine. So I agree with, with pretty much everything you said. Uh, and I think it's actually pretty good settler colonial analysis, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but the reason why I mention that, uh, that, that, that we have to as well, uh, in, the, in our paradigm, in our analytic, insist on the indigeneity or the, na uh, the, 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 the identity of the Palestinian as native is precisely because of the Zionist efforts to switch that on its head to, to enable the erasure and the elimination of Palestinians. Uh, um, so, so that's why I, I think in that- Very convoluted technique, Mark. Sorry? A convoluted technique to accept but, the opposite in order to flip it. Like, well, no, 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 no. Let, no, me, let no. me remind you, did you know, did you know this joke that, that, that Zizek keeps using about the natives? No. Oh, let, give me one minute, I'll, I'll tell it briefly. I mean, so I, there's this um, white- uh, White progressive scholar in the U.S. talking to an audience. Ah, briefly, briefly. Briefly. Yeah. White, white, white progressive scholar talking to an audience, so sitting in an audience. Sorry, and there's this native, native American speaking, and he says, "We the we the Red Indians." So the guy tells him, "Stop! You you should call yourself Native American, not Red Indian." He says, "No, no, no. I prefer the the notion of the Red Indian." First, to remind all you whites that how stupid you were because you thought you were coming to India. But secondly, <laughs> but secondly, because what do you mean by native? Like I do, I belong to nature, and you what belong to to the civilization? I don't like the term native. And and so in in this sense, you know, the claim that those who brought civilization to Palestine were the were were, were the Jewish uh, um, yeah. immigrants is I mean. We're on the same page with all of that, absolutely. But let me yeah. just add it to that. The, 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 the reason why it, it, the, the settlers in North America knew that these were not Indians. The reason why they kept that term was not due to ignorance. It was due to the fact that they wanted to legally flip the, flip the picture and make them sound like they are immigrants and that the American settlers are the real natives. So, so uh, uh, there is, you know, it's, 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 it is, it's not, to me, it's not a simple uh, cut and dry question. So, so that, that's why I said as well, I am for dissolving the native settler distinction in Palestine, but that has to be done with a lot of care because if, if we don't, again, we, we fall into that trap of, of uh, if, you, if you blur it without making certain claims on the Palestinian right to the land, then, then you're blurring it in such a way where we're, we're going to get eaten alive from within. Uh, um, and, and that's, again, why indigenous scholars what in Canada is, what are resistant to What does right to the land mean, Mark, really? Uh, what, is, what is it? I mean, what I think, I think the, the connection to the land and the right to the land is, 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 the, is, is the core essence. The, the of, conne of, connection of the to the land, I, there are two ways. Like, I'm, connecting to the land means connecting to nature. That's one meaning. 
connecting to the land, the right to the land means ownership, private ownership in particular. So which, which, and these are two really different things. What are you talking about? I, well, I'm not talking about the, the right to ownership in the capitalist uh, uh, modern nation state lordship mastery type of register. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. So what, uh, what, but it's what, not, what but the here? opposite to that, uh, sorry, but the opposite to that is not what the colonialists assert, which is that it's the uncivilized, barbaric, backwards, uh, uh, just part of nature. It's just a different way of governing our, our life on the land. Um, uh, and, and that can happen in, in a variety so, of ways. Uh, Mark, I have a question very much related to, that, to this discussion. Yeah. Uh, it's from Iman Abu Sa'da. She's asking, who owns power? Control the narratives. Sovereignty could be achieved only when people start to own power. And it could happen when people, <coughs> excuse me, when people believe that they can resist and make a difference in their lives. In our case, we lost faith in ourselves. I'm not sure about that, but in ourselves and in our ability to resist. What do we need to reach that again? What do we need to reach that again? I mean, in terms of, I mean, the, the panel yesterday on 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 the Harakat uh, Shabab, uh, they gave better answers to that than I can give. Um, uh, in terms of what needs to be done to reinvigorate, uh, if if it is if it's uh, in need of reinvigoration, that resistance and giving it that direction, and and as one of the speakers spoke about, the necessary for a sort of. Uh, you know the, the sort of the backbone uh, 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 the back sorry Mudar Lamud al Fakari for for the resistance is 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 needed um, and so I, I think I think the, that panel is a, is a better answer to that than I am um, I, I tended to agree with a lot of what was said on that panel so uh, um, so I don't know that I have anything new to add to that to be honest. Um, uh, um, but, but yeah, I mean, again, for, for me, the options shouldn't be assimilate and follow the language and grammar of, 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 of the European colonists or, or, or the European worldview, um, or, or go back to, 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 to some, you know, uncivilized backward, blah, 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 you know, life. I mean, it, to me, that was always mythology anyway it was never it was never true that that what the european colonists colonized was an undeveloped world it was it was quite complex world complex systems of governance complex legal systems complex ways of relating to land relating to other people uh, complex ways of thinking about sovereignty again but we've got to now remove sovereignty when when i speak about this that that way remove sovereignty from its european version which is a specifically European version, so so uh, th that I'm critiquing, uh, um, and 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 yes, it, it it does need a lot of complex maneuvers. Uh, uh, I understand that, but but um, I, I think that's that's the task at hand is is to is to reimagine the world outside of that 400 500 years of of, of European colonization, which was spe specific to you know it had it had it had it shared some of the dynamics that preceded it in previous empires, whether you're talking about the Romans or the Mongols or what have you, but uh, um, it does have its own specificity that, that leaves us with a pretty power-laden world that, that, that needs to be rethought. 
that's why mark we're 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 going to be waiting for your book or your article about the decolonial sovereignty to understand such discussion even further and push it uh, further um uh thank you mark it has been a great discussion i really thank Modar for joining in um to spice this discussion up uh yeah. i like pleasure. it I we like it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I think we all got lucky that we have one presentation that we focused on, and we have uh, Dr. Mudar's intervention, which is always uh, appreciated. Um, 